This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Thank you so much for tuning in, Austin. My name is Mark Rayshop. This is our quarterly edition of Texas versus the World, and we are going to be focusing on the grape Chardonnay. So uh, if you're not familiar with this segment, what we do is we take one or a couple or more than one Texas wine and we put it up in a lineup, and I invite uh, several wine professionals and wine experts from our Austin community to taste the wines blind, and we're going to comment on it. We're going to talk about the normal characteristics of the grape Chardonnay, so hopefully you can learn something. Uh, We're going to get to know our guests. We're going to have a whole lot of fun, so thank you for joining us this hour, and uh, this is Texas versus the World. Focus on Chardonnay. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce my guests and to have this conversation with them. Uh, Let's get right into it. So uh, again, just to set the stage, my guests have tasted six wines, and they do not know what they are. Out in the lobby, there's no liquids here in co-op studios and uh so we tasted them very professionally and uh and and my my guests are writing notes vigorously and trying to figure out which ones were the texas wines or just overall the style and having some commentary on the wines so uh wonderful let me introduce them first we've got in the blue corner here (laughs) from uh southern glaciers john gerber who is um uh of course southern glaciers is a, a large distributor in town and he does key accounts and is um is just really connected around town so john Thank you so much for being here. Glad to be back. Excellent. And uh, we have in the red corner, we have, um, so we have Sean Croft, who works for another distributor in town, Pioneer. Sean, welcome to the studios. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And again, Julia Dixon, uh, who was here um, after our Texom episode, and uh, she's a great friend of the show. So Julia, welcome again to the co-op studios. Hi, thank you so much. All right. So, um, and Daniel Collada is in the background. We're going to pull him in from the Texas Wine Journal at some point. Um, so let's, let's, I'd like to have you guys, Chardonnay is maybe one of the most known white grapes out there. And uh, I want you to maybe, um, maybe Sean, you can start us off with a little primer on what Chardonnay is about, why it's so known and, um, and, and any thoughts that you have on the grape. Absolutely. Yeah. So Chardonnay, um, when I was learn- learning about wine, someone always uh, explained Chardonnay to me as a winemaker's grape. 
Um, it is definitely uh, a grape which leads more towards uh, techniques that happen in the winery, such as oak treatments and treatments with yeast and uh, things of that sort to, to kind of uh, give you the characteristic of each Chardonnay that's being produced is often more what's happening in the winery than what's happening in the vineyard itself. Um, that being said, there are some extremely terroir-driven and land-driven Chardonnays coming from some places like Chablis and some places which are really more about the land than they are the uh, winemaking techniques anyway. Can you, can you tell us, uh, j- not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. to um, describe what you mean terroir-driven? Sure, absolutely. So when I say terroir-driven, terroir is a French word. Uh, it kind of means a sense of place. It literally means soil, but they kind of use it as a term of a sense of place. So it kind of refers to everything which... Um, can influence a wine. So it could be the weather patterns, or it could be the soil types, or it could be the uh, the, the vegetation that's growing in, in, in the area, if there's herbs growing around, or uh, if there's uh, certain animals that like to eat the shrubs and they you know fertilize everything. It's, it's kind of a sense of the entire area. So the terroir of, let's say, uh, France would be dramatically different than the terroir of California because you have different weather patterns and different uh, soil types. And so do you think that Chardonnay, and I'd like you guys to chime in, Julia and John as well, um, is Chardonnay a, a grape that expresses the terroir more so than others or less so than others? J- Julia, you want to? So I just, uh, so Chardonnay is a very neutral grape mm. and it has that, this is why it's so great for winemakers to play around. It can do whatever you like. It's, uh, you know, a woman of pleasure for winemakers uh, because it can be lean and mineral. If it's grown in Chablis and cooler climates, it can be ripe, rich, lush, and sexy. If it comes from Chardonnay or oh, from Napa or California, uh, warmer yeah. climates. Uh, so this is why it's so interesting. It has affinity for oak, yeah, but it also can showcase the terroir. So uh, something that we talk about a lot in the w- the wine world is this concept of new world versus old world. And I think that we're going to maybe hear from our guests making some uh, conjectures as to which wine might be showing from the old world or from the new world. John, can you comment on uh, does Chardonnay express itself very differently when it's grown in France as opposed to California? And, and, and what if somebody doesn't really know those differences? What how would you describe them? It absolutely does. And I think it's so, yeah. oh, 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 there we go. We, we, we changed mics here, be, and, and we, we, we got you all set up. Yeah, okay, excellent. Great. No, uh, like these two were mentioning, I think it's a, it's a neutral canvas or a blank canvas for a winemaker to, to play upon. But uh, old world versus new world, uh, France, for example, I look for great miner- minerality and acidity, mm. and usually less oak. Uh, California, uh, a lot more fruit flavors just really jumping out at you. And I think in Texas, I've gotten some of that as well, but... Right, but we will see. We shall see, exactly. Yeah, the acidity is throwing me off. So, Right, and, and so I guess the concept there is that as uh, in a little bit warmer climates, like Julie, you were mentioning Napa or maybe in the, the southern part of Napa, um, where it's not quite as warm as some of our red wine territories in Napa, uh, it, it shows more tropical fruit, right, and, and a little bit less of that acidity and minerality. Is that, mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're going as, as when we have a cooler area such as Burgundy, we are seeing more acidity and less uh, and less of that ripeness right indeed okay um what were your guys initial impressions again uh, my guests have have tasted six chardonnay from around the world 
and um, and some of them were from Texas, and we're just going to have fun revealing what uh, what flavors and aromas we can expect from Chardonnay. Uh, what were your impressions? Uh, we will start off that Texas doesn't have the best reputation for Chardonnay. What what were the when you taste the six? Was was it very obvious what what wines were from Texas and what wines were not? Surprisingly, not for me. I was actually expecting, uh, really, when I'm going into blind tastings, kind of the first few questions you're asking yourself is cold climate versus warm climate and uh, old world versus new world. And so when you approach Chardonnay, it can often be a little bit uh, more easier when doing that cold climate cool versus warm climate because uh, you get dramatically different fruit profiles. In a warmer climate, you're going to push a lot more of those tropical notes, get more pineapple and guava and, and, and mango and things of that sort. Whereas in the cool climates, it's much more of the apples and the pears and some of that floral note. Um, so that normally is an easier way to uh, split it off. And I think my numbers lined up to where I had some cool climate and warm climate. But really, <laughs> as, uh, as uh, John was actually hinting at, we actually do kind of have some really interesting acidity questions. Uh, uh, there's definitely a lot of question mark. I don't think any of us are going to be very confident in, uh, in our <laughs> blind tasting choices today. Yeah, they were all very close. Pretty close. So, John, so, so, so this is kind of a check in the, in the Texas category, that it wasn't obvious which ones were, were, were Texas and what, which ones were not. So that's interesting, right? Yeah, you get me every time. <laughs> <laughs> Julia? Yeah, how did you think overall in broad brushstrokes? I thought the wines were well picked. Definitely classic examples uh, of different uh, regions and representations. Also, I have to say that even recently, for example, 2015 was a warm, hot vintage for Burgundy, and even some Chablis taste unusual. So that's something to consider is the age, and the wines were different ages for sure. And so that makes you think about you know, global warming, of course, but also... So what you're saying is we were having this conversation about warm climate, uh, cool climate, and so you're saying that even though it's a perhaps cooler region, if there's a warmer vintage, exactly. it could be showing some of those characteristics that you have in warmer places. But yes. Sean? There's also an interesting thing to note that the further technology gets in the wine industry, the I feel there's a further distance between old world and new world as well. I feel like blind tasting 15 years ago would have been significantly easier than blind tasting today because you have techniques which have now spread around the world to where what worked the best in Burgundy those techniques have now been translated into Fran into other parts of the world and, vi and vice versa. Right. So and you all taste on a, on a weekly basis a lot of wines professionally uh, for analysis. So do you see these crossing of, of, of barriers of old world, new world? Absolutely. You take someplace simple like Rioja and all of a sudden you're using more new French oak, uh, which is very not classic Rioja. You normally use uh, American oak there. And that's kind of right. when you're doing blind tasting, you're like, oh, American oak, let's talk about Rioja. They're one of the few places in the world which use it in wine. But now that all these techniques are kind of becoming a little bit more, uh, we find out what we like the best in the old world and new world. I kind of I feel like those lines are kind of blending together a, a little more, and you're also getting a lot more kind of cross cultural communication between winemakers in old world and new world, yeah. to where they're maybe studying in the old world and coming back to the new world, or an old world company is, is is opening up a winery in the new world. You have a Burgundy producer that went into Oregon and has a fabulous uh, winery up there. Right, there is definitely a a, a land grab happening with yeah. with uh, French winemakers uh, doing uh, things in the Anderson Valley right. for Chardonnay Pinot Noir and, uh, and and all over all over California and Oregon for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, any other comments before we get into into the tasting? Um, I, I guess one thing that we didn't mention was that there's there's a another complicating factor to Texas Chardonnay, and that is that um, Chardonnay is an early flowering grape. So uh, in Texas, and particularly in the High Plains, we have a lot of winds that actually affect earlier on in the growing season. And so when you have uh, the flower, the, the vine is self-pollinating. Uh, and so when you have strong winds during a time that a grape variety might be flowering, you can have problems with, uh, with this uh, self-fertilization and having properly mature uh, formed berries, right? Is that something that you guys hear about? Um, or, or am I just geeking? out too hard <laughs> I, I hear more about wind being a, a good factor in, in helping uh, break up some harsh sunlight okay so you get longer hang times and things like that but, yeah. yeah and so that would be more so during the maybe wind during the summer months to mitigate the Correct. heat or or to blow away the moisture which might create some mold factor. it gives it sort of a dappling effect you know and they're different clones of chardonnay uh-huh. And, uh huh. They appropriate for different climates. I was not going to go there, Julia, so but just, uh, <laughs> I mean, we can go all the way into rootstocks if you want. I mean, <laughs> well, um, well, great. So, so again, if you're just tuning in, this is Co-op Radio. Another bottle down. We talk about wine for an hour. We're here until two p.m. and uh, talking about Chardonnay. Texas is not always the most thought of with uh, in in regards to Chardonnay because we think of it as a maybe a cooler climate grape and 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 uh, thriving in cooler wine growing regions and Texas is not and so we're going to see how the Texas wine does and if you're digging this conversation and you want to see how good my guests are. Um, I know that they're flinching at me right now. I'm <laughs> posting to facebook.com slash another bottle down radio, and you can see a picture of the wines that these guys have tasted blind out in the co-op lobby. So um, let's get into it, and then we'll interweave some other discussions throughout our, uh, our conversation. But uh, wine number one of six. Uh, John, do you want to start us off here? <clears throat> uh, happy to. Uh, I like this wine actually i found uh, some really good dried apricot uh, aromas along with some melon and some citrus right off the bat uh, i thought the palate was medium to full body yeah uh with a good medium acidity and, and medium oak it wasn't overpowering it at all i found it quite enjoyable what um uh, this wine had um oh well I'll, I'll, I'll wait until the end here uh sean what, what were your what were your tasting notes i definitely agreed with uh, significant about uh, a lot of things which he said I, I i tried to kind of pay attention to color a lot in in these wines i feel like with chardonnay especially since we're having so much oak interaction um chardonnay definitely has a tendency to really show its color a lot um so this was definitely one of the darker ones uh which can indicate either age or it can indicate that there's uh more oxygenation through oak or uh, through any other kind of process which is introducing oxygen. Um, so definitely the darkness of color definitely stood out for me. I also noticed a little bit more candy on the nose in this one um, to kind of stand out a little bit from some of the notes he gave, which that sweetness on the nose often for me is going to lead towards uh, more of some, some of the new, er, the new world areas. California definitely has a tendency to put a little bit more sweetness on the nose as well. Um, but yeah, and then I got a little bit, um, maybe a hint more trip, uh, tro- tropical fruit for uh, my palate. So a hint more uh, pineapple, but uh, it was definitely a acid-forward wine. I had a question of whether or not how much of that acid was natural acid and how much of it was acidification, which is definitely something which uh, we could talk about, especially when it comes to Texas wines. I think we should, uh, I think we should talk about that right, right now. Right now. Uh, just, well, um, 
it, it, we, you bring this up and, and it's, uh, it's a hot topic that, um, so winemakers are allowed to add acidity. Um, and, and so do you, so do you see that happening in warm climates and, and what is the pros and cons? You know, to be honest, I feel like acidification has gotten a really bad rap in the uh, professional wine community. A lot of people feel like, oh, acidification is cheating. Um, but then you talk to some people in the old world, talk to some people in the Rhone Valley, and they're like, hey, we, we acidify. There's nothing wrong with it. And there's a lot of skill that goes into acidification. You know, properly doing acidification, pre-fermentation and post-fermentation, there's a lot of skill trying to balance that, and so it doesn't stand out. When it does stand out, it, you know, it'll taste like, you know, baby aspirins and, uh, uh, orange kool-aid and you know tang and all these things all these like overbearing citrus notes come out often um so for you that uh was a potential factor with this it was yeah i definitely noticed something um i would i would call it there's definitely a little bit of acidification here but that doesn't necessarily say it's texas i mean texas definitely is going to have to acidify more because uh, so when when a grape is growing in uh in sun and heat is when the sugar is being produced and that in the cooler temperatures is when the acid is actually being uh, matured so regions which are cooler climate have a tendency to have a brighter, more acidic profile due to their cool climate. So whenever there is acidification, often that will lead me to think this is more of a warm climate grape because they're having issues with their low acidity and they're needing to correct that to raise the acidity up. Okay. So that's the concept there. Uh, and we'll, we'll see, we'll see how this turns out. Thank you for my, uh, for my, uh, divul- uh <laughs> divergent conversation. Julia, you want to uh, c- continue us with wine number one? Yes. Um, so number one, uh, the wine was, I thought, had a little bit more age on it uh, due to the color compared to all other wines, but also uh, due to the, some flavors of the fruit. Uh, to me, it had ripe yellow apple, bruised apple, uh, vanilla custard, ripe pear, um, and also some grilled canned pineapple. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the fruit had a little bit of this cooked flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also ripe, so it wasn't completely diminished. That's an interesting thing that you point that out because I picked up some sweeter notes on this one as well. And when you grill pineapple, mm-hmm. you're caramelizing some of the sugars in it, and that might so is grilled pineapple sweeter uh, in a sense than than non grilled pineapple. Uh, I guess that's a, a debate we could have. And but it removes the freshness per se from mm-hmm. you know the fresh fruit, and also the acid there. It was medium plus for me. I mean, everything was balanced in this wine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, yes, I thought the wine was good. And back to the acidification, I want to add that most white wines that are grown in regions that are mainly known for red wines would be acidified. There's just mm-hmm. no way around it, or else they mm-hmm. wouldn't be known for the red grapes. They wouldn't ripen. Absolutely. But um, you can taste it to our listeners. You can tell the difference most of the time whether the wine was acidified or not. By that feel of, you know, how you take um, vitamin C mm-hmm. <clears throat> in a powdered form, kind of gives you that sensation on your palate. It's a little bit different acid, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Right, right. Uh, it just means it gives uh, structure to the wine. Okay, and a bit of a different character. Um, and of course, there's various different acids that can be added as well. Um, but uh, we won't quite go there yet. We'll, we'll talk about some other um, other aspects to Chardonnay production. But uh, okay, so so overall, uh, some pretty interesting characteristics to this this wine number one. And if you wanted to uh, check out the wines, a picture, a photo of the wines that we are talking about here, 
Um, I know my guests are trying to creep over my shoulder. <laughs> Still have uh, no clue what they are. <laughs> you can see a photo at facebook.com slash another bottle down radio uh, and comment and see what, what you guys think of uh, are your favorite wines and whatnot. Okay, let's let's talk about wine number two or else we'll be here until th- four or five o'clock. Okay. And, uh, and uh, of course, keep it pegged to co-op all afternoon. We've got the People's Republic of Austin coming up after this at 2 p.m. and the pilot show, which is always a surprise at 2.30, and then, of course, through the afternoon programming is excellent stuff. So, um, so great. Well, let's, uh, Sean, you want to uh, kick us off here with wine number two? Sure, absolutely. So wine number two for me, this one was a little bit lighter colored, um, and the nose was uh, definitely, there was both um, oak and what's called malolactic ferment, fermentation or uh, kind of an autolytic nose to it, which, um, so... Should we talk about let's talk yeast about, a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about, since you're bringing up um, malolactic fermentation, that's a, uh, hopefully nobody's running away screaming that this is uh, too complicated and whatnot, because um, malolactic fermentation is, um, it, it sounds scary, but it, it's often done with Chardonnay, and it's always yeah. done with red wines. Yeah, so that, that's one of the things that definitely sets Chardonnay apart from a significant number of other white grapes out there. Um, is Chardonnay is treated kind of in between the red and white wine traditional styles, where traditionally in red wine you have 100% of what's called malolactic firm fermentation, which is another bacterial transformation of acids that happens inside of a wine. So you're basically making an acid which is more noticeable, less noticeable, but in that process, you're also thickening up the wine. So mm-hmm. it's adding glycerol to the wine. And it's something which, you know, like your Pinot Grigios and your Sauvignon Blancs and all this stuff, normally they're blocking that. They're stopping that 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 process from happening. But in Chardonnay, they might have, have allow 20% of it to happen, or they might allow 100% of it to happen. But notes which are going to come out are going to, you're going to get more of that butter and more of that cream, because basically the acid which it's creating is lactic acid. And when you think of lactic acid, you have to think of things like buttermilk and butter and cream and things, because it's basically from, it's the same acid which comes in, in milk. Okay. So, um, so that was noticeable yes. to you. In it was. It was. A, it was a little bit more noticeable than this one. Um, it had a little bit more of that kind of creaminess and some more of that oaky palate to it. Um, this one did happen to be a feel a little bit cooler climate to me. It didn't push as many tropical fruits to me, and I had, I had hints of guava and stuff, but it had a little bit more that kind of apples and pears. There's also I noticed um, a little bit more of a term called spritzig, which is kind of that, like, like that prickliness on the tongue, which tells me it's a very, either a very fresh wine um, or it's a wine which um, did not um, spend too much time in oak. Um, so possibly with the flavors of oak, but not still having a little spritzig, this might actually be something which was in tank and they added oak chips to. That's kind of the hint that that's giving me is that we're getting oak notes without some of the oak things on the palate. Hmm. Um, this also had some phenolic bitterness to it, which means that they're soaking the skins in it. Um, which is something that happens in red wine and not always in white wine. One of the other things that sets Chardonnay apart is that often they will soak the skins there's of the wine. Yeah, and, and there's more batonage in this one. It's just another term which happens more in Chardonnay than elsewhere, which is where they're stirring the yeast um, uh, constantly to kind of give you more body and more of that yeasty interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Julia, so yes. uh, th- this batonage, this was obvious to you. It jumped out at yes, you. What, some uh, lees stirring on mm. this. Okay. Yeah, these are the dead cells. Yeah. Sounds kind of gross, but it's not. It's actual <laughs> natural. And what it gives to the wine is texture, and it gives to the wine aromas of cheese rind and yogurt. And that definitely was present in this wine. Okay. Also had 
quite good minerality and okay. that kind of would give it away from me being an old world wine here and possibly a warmer vintage. Okay, an sure. old world wine, so more of the minerality, but then uh, you did still get some some warmer climate notes, which would turn you into a uh, a warmer vintage. Yes, that's right. Okay, interesting. Um, John, what what were your impressions on on this wine number two? Uh, I agreed, kind of old world. Um, I I yielded that my palate was probably the uh, least of the three here, and I and I'm, I'm not full of as much technical information uh, information as them, but. What leapt out to me to make me think Old World was I got a mushroom uh, and earthiness uh, right off the bat along with some animal and some herbal mm-hmm. uh, sort of notes. And I found the, the acid was a little higher. And, yeah. and I'm fine. I'm not terribly susceptible to oak, but I, I didn't notice much. It takes a lot for me to really to get it. So I thought the... Right. Was- so that, that might... Um, I know that some terminology in the wine world is... Uh, hard for for normal consumers to to stomach if, <laughs> right. excuse the pun, but this concept of balance is, is mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. an important thing um, that uh, and there are some there 's this one journalist who talks about um, wines being not just balanced but harmonious uh, and and so there's there, there, there's that 's kind of hard to grasp as a normal consumer but I think what you 're getting at is that uh, one step closer to this concept of balance is that the acidity and the oak uh, all kind of uh, feel like they're one, and you don't norm you don't get this perception hitting you in the face that oh, this wine was in an oak barrel. Certainly. I'm sucking on a, um, a, a you know a, a popsicle stick or, <laughs> yeah. or, a, or a pencil. Um, it made me salivate too right away, yeah. which is which is a good sign for yeah. me. So so that's great. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> and and that that salivation has to do with the acidity in that totally. that and, and that's and so that oak body acidity balance is something key that we look for in Chardonnay. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let, we, we need to take a short break uh, and we, we need to regroup. We might have another sip of wine out in the lobby. Um, and uh, we're going to hear from some underwriting announcements. We, we just wrapped up Membership Drive and I want to thank all of the new business members. Um, we're a nonprofit radio station and I know that everybody has heard of that a lot the past two weeks. Um, but really, we, we rely on our underwriters and our business members a whole lot. So, um, and all of our listeners. Listeners out there who really stepped up and gave to co-op. There's no uh, time that you can or cannot give to co-op. You can always give to co-op. So, um, but this is a, a, a very valued underwriter, as all of them are. And so, uh, we'll see you in just a short, brief moment. Stay tuned. Support for co-op comes from Link and Pin Gallery, an artist-led space that offers a community and environment to discover local art. The gallery is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. More information is available at linkpinart.com. People's Republic of Austin is a show for the working class of Central Texas. Join me, Brian, for discussions with organizers fighting for the rights of the oppressed and marginalized. We cover the struggle for workers' rights and power for the people. We cover real news from real perspectives as reported by the people most involved in struggles for social and economic justice. We also feature live music and talks on culture from underrepresented Austin artists. Join us in the fight with People's Republic of Austin every Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. on KOOP. 
And you can also check us out online at facebook.com slash peoplesradioaustin, where you can find past episodes, extended interviews, and news about Central Texas. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Life I love is making music with my friends. I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again. Going places that I've never been. Seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. Oh, thank you so much for staying tuned to KOOP, Hornsby Austin, and KOOP.org. Um, we're on the road again, uh, tasting Texas wines and putting them up against wines, uh, really nice wines from around the world. And, uh, and, and just for the love of it, you know, there's, there's, uh, we're rooting for the Texas industry, I think. Uh, but we love wines from, from all over the world. And so we've been having a great conversation about Chardonnay, the ins and outs. Uh, what does it mean to have a cool climate Chardonnay? What does it mean to have to be stirring the yeast in the barrel of Chardonnay? And um, and a huge thanks to to my guests John Gerber from Southern Glaciers, Sean Croft from Pioneer, and Julia Dixon from Art Wine Pro, and a lot of other a lot of other really interesting projects. She's going to start uh, importing some uh, Georgian wine here, too, as a little birdie is saying. Um, very excited about that because those are really interesting interesting wines, interesting styles. So the conversation this, this week uh, on Texas versus the World with the Texas Wine Journal panelists um, has been Chardonnay. So um, we've tasted two wines already. Let's jump right into the third. Julie, I'm going to have you kick us off here on wine number three. And I think we've seen different styles so far. Do we see yet a different style? Yes. So the third wine was pale straw in color, had some vanilla bean, papaya, guava, ripe apple, pear, and uh, also had some chalkiness coming through. Some chalkiness? Yes. Okay. Uh, Baked apple, apple pie crust. It had round mouthfeel, some butter tossed, key lime sorbet Mm. for freshness, but definitely had that richness and a little bit of sweetness of the fruit. Um, It had good balance. And that's something we're always looking for in a good Chardonnay. Yeah, and that's what we were talking. What did that in this wine? What did that balance mean to you? So that meant that nothing jumped out. The acid, the alcohol, the finish lined up together and created very pleasant mouthfeel, mm. and had a nice tex- texture to it. And um, that would be good food wine as well, I think. Okay, wonderful. I, I have written in my notes as well the best balance so far. So <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what everybody else thinks. John Gerber, what did, what, what did you have to say about wine number three? Well, I did pick up some okay. uh, right behind uh, some. You got me. We got yeah, you. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Technical uh, difficulties. I can put both mics over if you want. <laughs> yeah, right. We need uh, to put two mics on you. Totally. <laughs> I got some oak for sure on this one, which was uh, not overpowering, but I definitely picked it up. Uh, a lot of citrus, and I got some dill uh, mm. right away that I thought was very interesting. Does that mean something to you? Well, normally it means American oak. Okay. That that might be out of place here, but 
Uh, well, we, we, maybe we, not. I don't know. Possibly. It's <laughs> not impossible for no, the it's American not. oak, but, but right. Um, but it was great. The uh, acidity was was rather high for yeah. uh, what I thought. The and the uh, you know you could tell it lingered on the palate, so I yeah. found it c- kind of nice, a good balance. So did that. So oak present up front, but then but then did show nice balance. Does that re- lead you to a particular region or, or or place or the fact that I got citrus first uh, makes me think New World, maybe California. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, and if you want to uh, see the list of wines that, that my guests have tasted so far, facebook.com slash another bottle down radio. And I've got a picture there and we'll have more information. Uh, I'm sure that we'll post some pictures of other guests as well. So, um, Sean, what were your impressions on number three? You know, I think we had this actually, we're all kind of coming to an agreement on, on, the, on this one. I think this one is definitely oak forward. Um, I think the balance is, is, um, almost too technical of, mm-hmm. of, of a balance. I feel like this is something which has gone through many marketing trials to try to fit that perfect balanced <laughs> idea of what a balanced Chardonnay should be. But I also think this is balanced around its sweetness more than any of the other Shards were. Um, I think the fruit and the sweetness is a little bit more pronounced. The oak is definitely up front. Um, those things definitely lead me towards New World. And that kind of more meticulous, almost marketing forward balance definitely kind of, this feels like it has California fingerprints on it. <laughs> So, I mean, that, but yeah, I get, I get a lot of, you so know, almost, and, and if I can kind of distill some of what you're saying there, uh, California fingerprints, meaning that they've done, been making wine. There's a lot of well-trained winemakers, et cetera, et cetera, that, yeah. that you not, have this classically made wine or so. Yeah. Not only that, but there's, you know, probably 75,000 Chardonnays coming out of California anyway. So the idea of someone trying to create that perfect Chardonnay, they have a lot of examples and a lot of people to pull from and a lot of marketing teams that are really good at trying to create that perfect Chardonnay coming from um, a region such as California versus Texas, where we don't have as many people doing Chardonnay. So they're trying to create the style, which is Texas Chardonnay. So we're going to get more of a difference and maybe not as much quote unquote balance in the marketing sense. Yeah, right. Um, Julie, you, yeah, you commented on this uh, already. Wonderful. Well, let's, um, before we jump into wine number four, um, can we, we've talked a little bit about California versus, um, versus France or so. For folks who don't know kind of other places that they make Chardonnay, uh, can we comment on some other places around the world other than California and France? John, do you want to you want to kind of start us off, and we'll 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 go around the uh, the table here until we run out of regions. <laughs> well, I think yeah, coming from a large distributor who sells quite a few different brands from around the globe, I think I've seen it from every major country: uh, okay. South America, North. I think Canada produces a Chardonnay. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all over. It's definitely well, <laughs> one of the most planted grapes out there. I mean, it's it's, and I believe it's the best selling varietal in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds about that right. is definitely true. Yeah. Let's uh, not forget, it is a French grape originally. There you go. And so, any other country makes it, and it considers to be what it's called now in the international grape varietal. Mm-hmm. It is a classic international grape varietal, mm-hmm. and um, for some producers, it could be a way to showcase what they can do or have, but for others, it's just a way to make money while they're getting something else going that's called indigenous grapes. They do it a lot of in Italy, even in Georgia, so it happens right. all over the world, but it creates a big challenge for the consumers Yes, and uh, wine professionals uh, selecting your Chardonnay to sell or to buy, Right. Uh, and I think the key is to know your producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, the key is, of course, that's why we as professionals taste a lot to offer the best, in our opinion, to our guests and clients. But at the same time, you know, when you go to the store, look for the producer and you've talked about some challenges for Texas Chardonnay. 
I think this is another good key. No good producers, and I think there's some great producers that we're tasting today. Right, right. Well, I'm looking forward to the reveal. Well, I, I already know the wines, but I'm looking forward to uh, the reveal. Um, any any regions that I'll, I'll start us off on on some Chardonnay that I'm actually I'm excited about from around the globe. Um, I think that you're and Julia, thank you for pointing out that Chardonnay is uh, actually indigenous is from France and now has been brought all around the world, and we're seeing it in every country. But I think that there are some nooks and crannies that are doing are doing really exceptional stuff, and uh, for me, Margaret River in Western mm. Australia is one of those areas that's uh, doing um, amazing Chardonnay. Argentina. And the Argentina. there allows mm-hmm. them to grow some wonderful examples. Talk about that. So um, what does elevation do if, if for folks who don't know out there? So even in a warmer climate, elevation can bring the temperature down drastically, and uh, it happens in Argentina a lot. So we're talking about more than 2,000 feet above sea level elevation and vineyards located there and people vinify some beautiful Chardonnay grapes right. make some Chablis-style wine in a new world climate. Agreed. Yeah, and, and even in these, uh, I think the wine regions in Chile are also, um, they don't quite have the elevation uh, that they do in Argentina, but uh, they're going further and farther south into Patagonia in Chile and Argentina both, uh, and we're seeing really interesting examples there as well. And they have the cold ocean breezes too that help a lot. The, the, I think it's the Humboldt current Humboldt, is, the, right. uh, is, is the, the cool Zealand. currents. Yeah. I want to talk about New Zealand yes. a little bit too because we all know New Zealand for Sauvignon Blanc. But I've tasted with many producers from New Zealand and they said that actually the most popular white wine in New Zealand is Chardonnay. It is the most uh, consumed by locals. Yeah. So, and they make some amazing I mean, examples. If we're all throwing in our favorite geeky place for Chardonnay, I'm obsessed with South African Chardonnay. I mean, nice. from oh, you know, yeah. Robertson Valley, some of the Devetchtoff stuff. And a lot of the reason that I find that stuff so fascinating to me is that uh, that rich chalk and limestone soil, uh, which is a lot of people will say that's kind of the hallmark of the greatest Chardonnays in the world. And you go to you go to Chablis and you get that that rich limestone, that rich chalk, that those more uh, uh, calcium forward soils that really lead towards uh, uh, the most mineral forward Chardonnays. More 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 the more terroir driven Chardonnays. Right, right. Uh, I love it. Robertson Valley, South Africa, Fabulous they're doing stuff. wonderful stuff. I'm gonna end this 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 kind of conversation before we move on <laughs> to the last one. With just throwing it on the table and uh, and saying some of my favorite Chardonnay is from Champagne. Oh, absolutely. And so so Ch- Chardonnay is one of the three Champagne grape varieties. Um, although we don't often see it on the label unless we see Blanc de Blanc on on the label. And so um, and and Champagne being very cool, you have tons of minerality there, and and all of these hallmark cool climate Chardonnay characteristics. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we're we're full circle here, uh, John. You want to uh, throw us into wine number four uh this was a tough one for me uh i got two things right off the bat vanilla and white flowers mm. um the acidity okay. was pretty low uh but it was more full-bodied and i definitely got some oak in there as well so that made me think this might be a texas wine i don't know just from uh, acidity sort of a thing uh you could tell it was it was from a warmer region and i thought 
Okay. And vanilla, we should also say for listeners out there, might be another clue to, to oak, right? Exactly. That dill and vanilla uh, quality uh, could be oak. Okay, Sean, what, what do you think on this so I'm one? I'm not going to talk too much about this one because I'm pretty sure I know which one this one is. Um, <laughs> but I definitely noticed the color difference on this one. It was very similar to the first one. Uh, had that much more darker color, much more of that almost gold color. Um, and that, you know, often I feel comes from age or comes from oxygenation. But uh, that was definitely a hallmark of this wine was the color was uh, significantly different. Okay. Okay. Julia? So that wine, I thought, had uh, definitely oak influence and some age with it. Um, the fruit were bruised, pickled. Mm-hmm. Um, it was soft citrus like Meyer lemon and tangerine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some soft cheese, some chamomile. But I think it's important when describing wine to imagine what is it going to be consumed with. Because mm-hmm. wine is food, and we should be uh, looking mm-hmm. at the wine as something we're going to be eating it and drinking it with. Right. So this wine may not sound so appealing for some people, but if you pair it with uh, scallops and corn in a cream sauce, that mm. can be a wonderful wine. Right. So, so, and I try to uh, get folks out of uh, saying good, bad, this or that, but good in what situation? Bad in what situation, exactly. right? And, and yes. that, uh, I mean, it could just tickle your fancy uh, by itself or, or it could be something that you think in your mind, Oh, this with this uh, would be would be fantastic. I do want to. Um, I think that it's very interesting when you're tasting a wine. Uh, can can you lead us through any sort of process? I mean, you've said bruised pickle. Do you think? Oh, what does pickle smell like? And then what is uh, bruise? How? I, I think that for some folks listening out there or starting their path in learning to wine taste, it's a very difficult thing to to find these dichotomies of flavors. How do you think about that? So when tasting a white wine, you always think of for what kind of citrus does it have? Mm-hmm. It so you tart? start with citrus. I do. Is it a tart citrus like uh, lime or is it key lime? Maybe it is le- lemon or is it uh, my- what kind of lemon? Mm-hmm. Uh, my lemon would be sweeter, more aromatic than if it is a riper wine. Sometimes it would have a softer citrus like uh, tangerine, orange, orange oil that indicates a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of fruit does it have? Is it a stone fruit? I mean, and it has... And, and a stone pit, fruit a, would be a, a large pitted fruit, exactly, such like as peaches, peaches and nectarines. And yeah. It's an orchard fruit, apple, pear, or are we talking about tropical fruit here, which is going to be more intensely aromatic, more ripe and exotic and indicate, obviously, warmer climate as well. Mm-hmm. So those are good indicators for fruit. And then when you line those up, then you start to think about not fruit aromas. Right. Minerality, what does that mean? Does it taste like wet river rocks or is it pronounced chalky, original, you know, marl like it is in Chablis? Um, minerality is a different topic, obviously. Yeah. Or right. does it not have it at all? And maybe that comes from a very, very warm climate and it's all fruit driven. Right. Floral component. Each wine has a flower of some sort. It can be as intense as jasmine or as diminished as uh, chamomile or daisy, but it does have it there. And what else does it have? Is it dusty? Is it briny? Does it smell like oysters? Is it smoky? Does the smoke come from minerality of the grape or does it come from the oak? Mm-hmm. What else does it have? Does it taste like and smell like brioche and toast because that comes from oak? Does it have vanilla, spices? What kind of spices? Right. And then you have to put all in line and think what's jumping out, what's dominating the flavors here. And it's 
It's very interesting. I mean, it's a little puzzle right. when you put and, it together. And that is the task of tasting wine with every single wine that goes through your head. Exactly. And then you go through flavor of the wine. You taste it. You look at the acid. You look at the alcohol. You look at uh, tannin or phenolics for white wine, meaning it doesn't have any sort of bitterness. And is a bitterness coming from the skin or the oak if right. it's there? And right. then how does it all work together? Does it have balance? What kind of finish? And what is finish driven by? So, right. And the color can tell you a lot about the wine as well. Right. So we, 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 the, you mentioned uh, the color and uh, visual clues that, that you get. And, and that is, so we've tasted these wines single blind, meaning we know something about them. That's that we know that they're Chardonnay. If it's double blind, that means that we don't know anything about them. And if it's triple blind, it means that we can't see them and take on those visual clues. Do you guys taste any of anything to add to, uh, to, to uh, Julia's kind of wine, wine tasting uh, techniques for anybody wanting to improve their techniques? Absolutely. I, th- I, I feel like a lot of people feel um, tasting and blind tasting is this you know, magical thing that people do. Um, when really, uh, I, what, we're, what I'm tasting on my palate is maybe 20 to 30% of my actual what I'm actually guessing. There's so much more that goes into the knowledge of the regions, mm-hmm. what I'm expecting from those regions, what I know about their weather, their history, the producers, um, to where when I'm approached with a wine, I'll have you know this fruit and this acid and this and this. And what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll say, okay, well, it can't come from this place. It can't come from this place. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's a process of elimination. Okay. And it's a lot more about you know, the understanding of the regions and the understanding of the winemakers and understanding of what to I'm expecting from different areas where I'll slowly start eliminating people to I'll be down to maybe two or three regions and say, okay, so now I, it's only one of these three wines right? and this one has more, you know, peach to it. And this one's going to have more acid and this one's going to have more, uh, apple. So now which one is this, does this, this specific wine fit into? And that's a lot of people really feel like it's just like we're just sticking the wine in our mouth and we're going, oh, we've right. had this wine before. It comes from France. It comes from Shelby. But really, it is a process of it's not from here. It's not from here. It's not from here. Right. And and realizing that wine professionals have done a lot of work behind the scenes and a lot of studying, uh, that should be give people confidence yeah. because it's not just pulling things out of hats, right? And, and yeah. your, tongue, your, your tongue is a muscle. you got to treat it like like a muscle. You know, you have to, you have to, to train with it. You have to learn to recognize flavors. It's not, it's not that people don't taste the same way that wine professionals do. It's that we've sat down and paid attention to what dill smells like. I remember mm-hmm. when I was doing my first SOM class, a bunch of the students, we went, we went to the grocery store with a wine glass and went through the produce section, throwing, throwing everything in our wine glass and smelling it and right. saying, this is cucumber, this is dill, this is, and getting, trying to get those aromas drilled into our heads. So then when they popped up in a wine, it, we, could, we immediately could say, that's cucumber. Right. Absolutely. Um, John, any, we, we, we're kind of uh, running short. Do you have any last oh. comments on that? Or uh, No, I, I agree with what uh, Julia said earlier about directing people to a particular producer. But I think before that, I asked people to find a varietal, dig into a particular region, and then just, you know, I find myself taking my own advice sometimes. And, and if you're, Trusting yourself. If you're shopping on price point or a pretty label, I think a lot of times you're going to be unhappy. But if you... Just to invest a little bit of time and yeah, and energy, and also finding some some knowledgeable people that you can trust. Uh, are, we have a, a lot of excellent uh, retail uh, clerks and 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 wine experts on the the wonderful retail floors of of Austin, Texas. Sure. So it's a great place to be learning about wine. And we've all heard every 
every quote done question there is. <laughs> there aren't any, you know, we're happy to answer. Okay. Them. So let's, we, we got, um, about, uh, f- uh, 15 minutes left, 14 minutes left. So, um, uh, wine number five, who wants to kick us off? I'll take that. Okay, great. Julia. So it's bright wine. It's sound mineral, youthful. I got lime, green apple, uh, also some key lime. It was briny mineral, smoky, slightly smoky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, also floral, some white flowers, not too aromatic. I didn't get oak on it, maybe some uh, old oak. Uh, so to me, it was the most uh, transparent, clean mm-hmm. um, mineral wine out okay. of the lineup. So I yeah. like that. Definitely agree with that. Okay, Sean, you want to give... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of things you said. I thought, I thought it had a lot of fresh apple juice up front. Um, I thought that it, it wasn't pushing into the late palate as, as much as... So when we talk about early palate, late palate, it's kind of in the tasting process in the first second versus five seconds later how we're actually tasting things. This one was much more earlier in, in the palate, leading me to also say it was either neutral oak or no oak. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely one of the lighter bodies of them as well. Cool. John? I, I wrote down clean and young, which are two things that clean, clean and so, young. Okay. So I'm, I'm vindicated. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, baby aspirin and, yeah. and a picture of the color orange, but I got like a dustiness that you get off of circus peanuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and is that that br- this, brininess? You know I mean? Is that kind of that saltiness Kinda, or yeah. that, that gritty? But I thought the acid was high. Like I said, clean and young and fresh. And that was, yeah. that was a good wine. Yeah. So. Okay. So you like this. <laughs> uh, we'll go over some of our favorites in just a few minutes. Um, but the, our last wine, um, John, you want to kick us off this last, last guy? And sure, then we're going to take a short was, break. This thing was crazy. I got, uh, <laughs> The first thing I noticed was uh, some smoky ash, mm-hmm. uh, some pepper, maybe green, bordering on jalapeno. Uh, I got this aroma of a particular herb that I smelled at a party in high school one time. <laughs> um, and then I kind of finished off with some, I smelled this one like four times. There were so many things popping out Some here. Mendocino County. Totally. Right? Uh, tapioca, butterscotch kind of on the finish. Mm. Uh, and then I, on the palate, I got some melon. Uh, with a, a nice little oak balance, and I thought the acid was kind of low. Okay, medium, medium, medium minus or really so. Medium, but that was a that was a fun fun glass. To yeah. Taste. yeah. Okay, but 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 intriguing. You were you were you were uh, perplexed. And I was very hungry after I tasted it. <laughs> okay. That's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good, a good sign. sign. <laughs> yeah. Sean, in, a, in just a couple minutes? Yeah, this one definitely had the, the uh, minerality, which we've been talking about. Mid-palate had a, had a big punch of almost this kind of salty minerality to it. Um, definitely rocky kind of kind of minerality. Um, uh, this one did have some nice balance to it. I think it had a little bit more floralness on the, on the nose. Um, definitely kind of a pear intensity to it. Uh, I, you know, I, I had to lead cool climate just because of a lot of the same things that we're, we're all saying about it. It had that much more lighter-bodied kind of medium acid to it. Okay, Julia, and um, what, what were your thoughts? This last wine, and then we'll uh, talk about overall impressions, and then uh, and then do, do the reveal. So I got some spices, a lot of spices in this wine: spiced pear, papaya. I got the banana and clementine. So to me, it was more of a riper uh, okay. style of wine. Some lemon custard, so definitely some oak presence yeah. in the wine. Um, yeah, and uh, the acid was diminished on a palate. Okay, all right. And uh, I definitely, I think that something that jumped out to me very quickly was this smoky quality that John yeah. mentioned. And, and that, to me, indicates, you know, time in barrel and and the, the lees stirring as what we've talked about. Okay, do you want to go and uh, give us some impressions on what, what we thought? I mean, I'm seeing, I'm thinking that... Um, 
you know what? We're going to take a short break, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to give these guys some t- some time to uh, formulate their thoughts, and we'll come back with the reveal. So stay tuned. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio here with John Gerber, Sean Croft, and Julia Dixon. Uh, stay tuned, and we'll be right back with the reveal. This is Texas versus the world. A focus on Chardonnay. Co-op Radio, in partnership with the Animal Draft House, proudly presents a free concert with Jen Zava on Saturday, September 16th at 6 p.m. at the Animal Draft House Cinema at Mueller, 1911 Aldrich Street. Jen Zava brings her unique blend of alternative pop, rock, and jazz to the Animal Draft House's new specialty bar, Barrel of Fun, which offers live music, craft beers, spirits, DJ sets, and more. Information about the concert and co-op's monthly music events at Alamo Mueller can be found at koop.org. Co-op would like to thank the following businesses for their donation of food to sustain our volunteers during our membership drive. Ruby's Barbecue, rubiesbbq.com. The ABGB, theabgb.com. Threadgills Old Number One, threadgills.com. A plus A, Sichuan, China, 13376 Research Boulevard. Thundercloud Subs, thundercloud.com. Eastside Pies, eastsidepies.com. Corriente at 621 East 7th Street. Manja Pizza, manjapizza.com. Texas French Bread, 2900 Rio Grande. TexasFrenchBread.com The Garden Spot, GardenSpotCafe.com Mandola's Italian Market at the Triangle at 4700 Guadalupe Cherrywood Coffee House at 1400 East 38th and a Half Street Wheatsville Food Co-op, 3101 Guadalupe and 4100 South Lamar Veggie Heaven, 1611 West 5th, VeggieHeavenAustin.com Via 313, Detroit, Sal Pizza, via 313.com. Multiple locations in Austin. Counterculture, 2337 East Cesar Chavez, counterculture.com. All right, we are back. Thank you so much to all of our food donors during Membership Drive. That was amazing. Um, wonderful food throughout the membership drive. Okay, this is uh, uh, the reveal portion of our Texas versus the world. Uh, big thank you to my guests, John Gerber, Sean Croft, and Julia Dixon, who uh, were victims in tasting these wines, uh, although they were very nice. We, we, I think we had a lot of fun. Uh, any, I'd like to just go around real quick and uh, talk about what you guys thought um, were potentially the Texas wines. And we've, I, I have some notes here and some clues of what I think y'all thought. But, John, you want to start us off? And, and this is so difficult out there, so, you know, there is absolutely no judgment uh, at all. <laughs> it was very tricky. So uh, I thought number one, number four, and number six were Texas wines. And I think after a small sidebar with Sean, I have one of them wrong, probably number four. <laughs> but... Uh, that's uh, that's what I thought. So okay, well, well, um, so one, one, four, one, four, and six. Okay, Sean, you want to? Uh, I'm yeah. definitely going to echo number one. Um, this was definitely one of the harder blind tastings we've done. So yes, I'm going to say one, five, and six. Um, 
for mine. All right, one, five, and six. I, I, I guess we knew that there were three Texas Chardonnays. Yes, right. we knew there were three. That's <laughs> the only thing we did know. Yeah, Julia, um, what, what were your thoughts? So I was trying to keep an open mind uh, through the tasting and just focus on what the wines are as far as sure. taste goes. And I was, uh, you know, amazed once again how diverse Chardonnay can be. And uh, you know, want to encourage our listeners to drink Chardonnay. Because there's Chardonnay for everyone, no matter mm-hmm. what kind of white wines you like. Yeah. But uh, if Diversity I have to pick, of styles, yeah. Exactly. I have to go for one and uh, six. One and six, for if sure. I have to. Okay. Um, very, very, very groovy stuff. So, um, and I might have Daniel come in here to, to describe uh, some of these. Um, so, the, um, okay, so wine number one was the Pilot Knob Chardonnay. Um, and so that is a Texas... That is a Texas producer. Daniel did um, is so Pilot Knob's out up in the uh, High Plains, right? Uh, Pilot Knob is uh, north of te- uh, North Austin uh, near uh, Gerald and uh, the Florence area. Okay, uh, but the wine was actually the fruit from the wine actually came from Mason County. Uh, by Robert Clay Vineyards, um, which is a unique place in Mason, Texas, because they have a, a unique exposition that actually misses the frost zone in mm-hmm. the hill country, okay. uh, which is a kind of a really cool thing. Um, and the wine was actually made by Tim Drake for, for Pilot Knob, so Craig Pinkley and company. Uh, the wine was made for them by Tim Drake. Very cool. Um, wine number two was uh, Jordan from the Russian River Valley and uh, 2014 vintage. So uh, some folks were talking about this being a, a cooler climate, but, you know, nice yeah. balance and whatnot. So uh, that's very interesting. Um, thanks for uh, to Southern Glaciers um, for for uh, for supplying that one. Excellent. Um, we have wine number three was Fall Creek Vineyards Chardonnay, which was. Very interesting. Way to go. So um, that was, you know, a lot of comments were balanced and, you know, there was a little oak up front, but uh, I think that a lot of people were pretty impressed by that. Daniel, you want to talk about that? Um, uh, so uh, winemaker here is Sergio Quadra, uh, another Texas Hill Country wine. I think what's interesting about the two Texas Hill Country wines is uh, the, the, a lot of the commentary around the, the group was about minerality. Uh, and Sean actually made the comment about how, uh, I guess, a traditional limestone, calcareous types of soils are indicative of or great for Chardonnay, which is the types of soils that we see in the Texas Hill Country. Uh, and so it's just a great example. Yeah. And, and very economically priced, let's just say that too. Then, and um, well, one, it's wonderful. So, um, that, uh, okay, wine number four, let's move on. We've got a, we're cooking here. So, um, the Luca Chardonnay from Argentina. So, from uh, Tupungato, Mendoza. And I don't know the vintage on that one. 2014. Okay, so that was, uh, that was, I think, in line with what a lot of people were talking about. Wine number five was uh, the Cordier from the Macon. So, this is our white burgundy. Wow. And I think that. No um, way. <laughs> This was this was so so some uh, surprised comments here, but um, I think that when you look at the descriptions, it's somewhat in line with you know what Julia was talking about you know this clean and fresh qualities, and I think that you know that kind of describes the Macon. And wine number six is RK from uh, uh, from North Texas, and uh, and they've been on the show before here, and so wonderful. It's great to see that they're doing. So that was our last Texas wine, wine number six. 
And uh, yeah. you want to talk to RK? Yeah, so uh, the region is uh, just, uh, although it's Appalachia, Texas, it's from Montag County uh, in and around St. Joe. Uh, winemaker here is Grayson Davies, uh, a young, up and leading Texas winemaker for sure. Uh, a state Chardonnay and a state Syrah and a couple of really great blends, but uh, really excited about his Chardonnay. I uh, had an opportunity to taste his wines a few years ago, the first time I tasted a North Texas Chardonnay, and was kind of blown away to see this wine now three years later as a, uh, or I guess two years later as a 2015 vintage. Uh, it's been laying down for a while, and it's definitely evolved and integrated pretty pretty nicely. Yeah, that, that was uh, a really nice, really nice surprise. I think that there was, um, you know, we got some ripe flavors out of it, but there was, um, there was a lot of complexity to, to what he was doing there, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, very good. If you want more information about these, we'll be posting it to Facebook, facebook.com slash another bottle down. And uh, I just wanted to thank, thank you guys. We're, we're out of time for today. Uh, John Gerber from Southern Glaciers, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be back. Thank Any, you so much. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't think we even have time for comments, which is such a shame. <laughs> I love Chardonnay. <laughs> Daniel. Thank you for, for all that you do with the sure. Texas wine industry. Thanks to the panelists. Thanks for the wine, John, and Sean, and Julia, yeah. of course. And Sean Croft from Pioneer. Wonderful. Thanks, Sean, oh, for being course. here. Thank you. Um, first-time guest, and uh, we'll have you back soon, I'm sure. Excellent. And Julia Dixon, thank you so much. Um, I, I always love your insights on the show here. Thank you. Okay, well, that does it for us today. Uh, we'll be uh, posting the podcast later on, and um, and uh, keep on listening to Co-op. This is 91.7 FM, K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. We'll see you next week, folks. <laughs>